Now, before I have you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, I wanted to put the message into context, how the Lord brought it about today. And for better or for worse, uh, my study time in the scriptures usually consists of the events of the week where God uses those, just that's the way he speaks to me, uh, to gain insight on the text itself. And it was an interesting week in many respects. Uh, One is we were lamenting this day where um, Sarah and Emily were heading out. And um, been a lot of tears, and Michelle's been real busy working with um, our oldest son uh, to finish up his applications for the academy and NROTC, and, and he's getting ready to go away to prep school. Um, and so that's, it's just been a busy week. In the course of that, um, my nephew uh, came to visit us with his wife and his two boys, uh, Lieutenant Commander Sam Blair. He's a Navy SEAL, SEAL Team 5, SEAL Team 5. And he's getting his master's degree at Cornell, and he's taking the classes over by LAX. Um, and uh, he's preparing to be an instructor at the Naval Academy. And Sam and Lauren, his wife, came to stay with us. And we were so busy that we didn't really have a chance to connect with them. And I was saddened by it. Uh, I, had, I was given the privilege to go on a fishing trip, and I'm very tired. Um, I, I agreed to go on the fishing trip because there's a family that is also moving to Texas. They've moved there actually to do a wedding venue outside of Austin. Um, and they, the, the man, Todd, uh, his daughter, Brittany's getting married, good friends with Molly. And he said, Rob, we're doing the bachelor party out on a fishing boat. You want to join us? And I really wanted to connect with Todd because I love his heart and I love his family and I love what he's done in this community and all that he stands for. So I agreed to go on this fishing trip only to realize that I had to be up at three in the morning. And we went out fishing for yellowtail and we didn't catch any. Well, we did, uh, but the seal ate it. Um, And so we got rockfish. So that's like going hunting for, you know, deer and coming back with a pigeon. It just, you know, and it was a long day and the boat got back late and I had a city council gathering that was at seven o'clock at the Malibu Cafe. And uh, twice a year, the city council gets together with spouses and, and we spend time together. So uh, Michelle and I hurried over to that and I missed the opportunity to connect with Sam. But briefly, as I was in there, I had a chance to have a conversation with Sam uh, the day before. And then as I walked into the kitchen, he was talking with my son, Daniel. And he was laying out the chain of command of DevGru and the special forces and how this admiral oversees this. And he knew him by name. And, and he went down that he's now lieutenant commander. So he's overseeing a platoon, which has two squads, 18 men. Each uh, appoints a squad leader as an XO, uh, executive officer of the platoon. And he's laying it all out there. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm blown away by it. And then I head over to the council meeting. And I sit down and... Uh, serendipitously, I'm seated next to a council member that is uh, ideologically very different than me. Um, and, and on the boat that whole day, I was engaging in conversation about some of the things that were happening in Charlottesville. And I really just wanted to be on the boat, and I didn't want to be bothered with any of that. And a lot of you have been struggling over the events that have occurred this week. And we're struggling o- over our nation. And... Um, we're watching monuments being torn down in the dark of the night, and we're watching as um, division is rising and struggles are ensuing, and, and I'm, I'm burdened by it, quite frankly. I'm burdened by it. And, and then I sit down, and my head's swirling, and I'm tired, and I get hit with a couple of comments um, in relation to the week's events that kind of put me on edge. And had Rob McCoy shown up at the dinner, it would have been an awful conversation. 
but I'm thankful that Jesus showed up. Amen. You know that. Bless you. Because a gentle answer turns away wrath, and a word kindly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. People aren't the enemy, they're the opportunity. And, and to engage in that conversation without being personally offended. And my comment to my colleague was, you know, you, this realm of America labels me as a bigot and as a racist and on and on and on. And I said, and, and one of your acquaintances accused me of, of being responsible for the burning of the Planned Parenthood. And they did a letter in the acorn and they accused me of being responsible for the burning of the Planned Parenthood when I had nothing to do with that. And yet I was, I was accused of that simply because I believe that a child in the womb is a human being. And then I'm opposed to abortion. I'm labeled a bigot and a hater and um, opposed to women and on and on and on. I said, and when it was found out that it wasn't me, it was a, a disgruntled boyfriend of an employee of Planned Parenthood, nobody sent an apology. And yet as we sit here, I'm labeled a bigot, um, a misogynist, and I can go down the whole line. Nobody ever said they were sorry. And I said, so, so the vitriol is, is labeled on, on ideologically where I stand, but yet who takes responsibility for this side? <clears throat> and, and I laid that out gently. Uh, and tenderly, and put some questions forward that caused them to contemplate, and they put questions forward that caused me to contemplate. And Michelle was uh, kind of the governor. If it got a little, she, well, you and her tenderness stepped in where the the Lord used her to say, Rob, uh, I'd like to be in charge of this, not you. And so (laughs) it was good. And it ended up being a very uh, civil and insightful conversation. Um. But I was burdened, nevertheless. And I reflected back uh, as I was preparing this message. I reflected back on a, on a a conversation I had had back when I was in San Jose of a young man who was distraught because he had um, entered into the military, and he did it to be um, a part of the GI Bill, and um, he wanted to get his college tuition and. He liked the pay and the consistency of the work, and he looked forward to the insurance and an early retirement in 20 years. And as the war in the Middle East escalated, he was, he was um, set to go, and he was upset, and he was burdened. And I asked him why, and his comment to me was, I didn't sign up to go to war. And as I listened to him, I just thought... Why did you sign up? And his comments were for the benefits. And one of the questions posed to me by my colleague was about transgender in the military. I said, I have no problem with transgender in the military. I just don't want the military paying for the transition of a transgender. Figure out your stuff before you go in. Everybody's in the military. We're, We're a pluralistic society. Everybody's got issues. We all have struggles, but get those resolved so it's not an issue on the on the battlefield. And, and I don't believe that the military is a place to go in to get that benefit covered. Our resources are limited, um, and that's not the purpose of the military. And that was my response, and it was tender and to the best of my ability, and it caused them to contemplate and think about those things. And all this was swirling in my head as I'm watching Lieutenant Commander Sam Blair, who is serving our military. He has been in harm's way. He is reciting to my son the chain of command up and down. He's 
commenting by every uh, commander by name what each responsibility is. He knows the responsibilities of those below him and those above him. He's laying it out. My son is mesmerized. I'm mesmerized. I'm blown away by it. And he's talking to my son who at 18 years of age didn't get into the Naval Academy on his first application and is having to re-engage this extensive process and he may or may not receive it and doing an NROTC aspect at the same time to go away to a prep school. And he's, he's got a girl that he's sweet on and his whole world is, you know, just, you can imagine, 18. And, and I turned to, to Daniel and I said, you know, Daniel, the passage of scripture today in Matthew 16, because he was in the first service and I told him this earlier, I said, deny yourself, pick up your cross. You've been enlisted into the military and it's not about the benefits. You're, you're enlisted to go to war and you have to be prepared for that. My dad was gone on three tours of Vietnam, and there were seasons in my life I grew up without a father. And my mother, when you look at Proverbs 31, it says, a virtuous woman, the way it's, the way it's defined in Proverbs 31 is a military wife. That's how, you, that's how you interpret it in the Hebrew, a military wife. Someone who makes decisions in the absence of her husband has full authority to do as such. And my mom carried the family, and she was a Proverbs 31 woman. And, and this is what is necessary to further this. And we're in a battle for ideology. But one of the very important aspects of of the, I would say, the kingdom of God or the army of God, and I know that frightens people, but it'll make sense momentarily, is that we don't fight conventionally. Ours is not to beat people. Ours is to love them. And And the people that we contend with are not the enemy. They're the opportunity. The enemy is Satan himself. And it's a battle for ideology. And all this was swirling in my head as I was contemplating this passage today. And it's as though the Lord just said, here it is. And he laid it out. And I share this with you today to encourage you, not to discourage you. But in the same regard, we as the body of Christ need to examine this and see what our role is in all of it. So we'll study that today. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I know I read this last week, but I didn't go into detail, but today we will. And we're going to pick up at verse 13. This is last week's study. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you, 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 who do you say that I am? Remember, it's a personal question. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are... Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then, verse 20, he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must, everyone say must, that he must go to Jerusalem, and there's a lot of ands in this passage, which is antecedents, which means you, you can take out the word and and put the word must. So from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders and must from the chief priests and must from the scribes and must be killed and must be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it for you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, a very good teaching opportunity at Caesarea Philippi. He says to his disciples at this moment, if anyone desires to come after me, 
Let him, everyone say, deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please lead us into all truth and cause us to come alive to your living word, which is living and breathing and sharper than any two-edged sword. Speak hope to your people. Encourage them, I pray. Bless them and equip them. And God, we're so grateful for your word. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So the question was posed to me at the dinner. Uh, about this idea of racism and the monuments coming down. And I said, look, uh, I I know the Civil War was an issue of American history. I know that it causes great consternation and pain to many Americans to see these monuments. But to tear them down in the dark of the night without political consensus is anarchy. I believe we need to proceed with a a civil um, mandate in a pluralistic society and not just tear it down. It's a violation of the Eighth and the Tenth Commandment of stealing and coveting and destroying that which doesn't belong to you. And, and though they be an offense, then decide as a community to put them into a museum as you would put memorabilia from the Third Reich, that you'd put them in a museum to show the evil that contended, not erasing our history, but simply putting it to a place where people can access it as opposed to destroying it. And, and as the cry went out, and I had shared with my colleague of this idea of, well, let's take down uh, Mount Rushmore and blow it up, as some of the tweets were saying, and let's also take down uh, any monuments with Jefferson and, and stop funding federal funding for Jefferson and, and any monuments for Jefferson and the Jefferson Memorial because he owned slaves in Washington. And down the list they went. And as they, I, I was listening to this, my thoughts went to this place where fleshly I was thinking to myself, do you really know what you're asking for? If we're going to erase any remembrance of slavery, we're going to remove a historical reference. And what is the next step? And it's just a small step, but the Bible, uh, you had the Confederacy justify their slavery using Scripture, poorly used and out of theological context to justify the enslavement of another human being. So let's burn the Bible and remove it. And and does that seem far-fetched? especially for a culture that no longer honors or respects the scriptures. And then I thought about this person. Does anyone know who that is? I'm sorry? Margaret Sanger. She's the founder of Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger is the founder of Planned Parenthood. This doesn't take a lot of education. You can Google her name and read. And every year, they, the Planned Parenthood gives what's called the Maggie Award. And this is a statue, a bust of Margaret Sanger, and it's a very coveted award that has been given to many of our political leaders, um, including Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, and numerous others. And and the idea is women's rights and, and that Margaret Sanger was an advocate for women's rights. I find her to be reprehensible. Let me just share with you some of her writings. 
Sanger in her book, The Pivot of Civilization, where she advocated for the elimination of those she considered to be human weeds, stating that she was calling for the cessation of charity for the segregation of morons, misfits, and maladjusted, and additionally, the sterilization of genetically inferior races. She was a white supremacist. She was a eugenicist, and she wanted to wipe out minorities. Uh, Charity organizations that sought to better the lives of these inferior humans, in Sanger's opinion, delaying the progress of the superior human race. And this is a, if if we're going to tear down statues, let's take care of Maggie's statue. Nearly 20 million African-American babies have been aborted since Roe v. Wade. 35.6% of abortions are performed on black women in the U.S., even though they make up only 13% of the female population. 70% of all abortion clinics with Planned Parenthood are in inner cities, and the the goal for Margaret Sanger was to wipe out minorities. You really want to scourge the past and destroy it. Let's start here. But that's not a conversation you can have immediately. You have to build a bridge, have that conversation, do it in a civil manner, and communicate these truths. But most people don't know these facts because we don't study. We're not equipped to be able to contend in the culture for these aspects. In the course of this week, I had two college students come to me who were getting ready to launch, one to Chapman College, the other back to Berkeley, as they're going back for, I believe, their junior year. And, and holding Christian ideals in Berkeley and standing for the freedom of speech in Berkeley is going to be a very, very difficult task for a junior at Berkeley, a, a woman, young lady. And as we sat, she asked me to help her realign this thought. And she comes in for a boost every time she's in town. As I talked with her and encouraged her in what she's called to do and to affect these cultural mountains of influence, she started to understand her calling in the political world. She interned for uh, the majority whip, Kevin McCarthy, through the summer, and she is fervent in wanting to make a difference in the world. She believes in a constitutional republic. She believes in the freedom of man. She wants to see these things held, even though her entire generation or culture is ignorant of their history and has no clue as to how to implement these things. She is uh, a bright star uh, that brings me hope to that generation. In addition, I watched Jeremiah get his Eagle Scout award, and I was so blessed by that, watching as these young men are being equipped to change their, their generation. And another young man who came in getting ready to go to Chapman College, I shared this with him. He took a picture of it. He was so moved. He wants to go into arts and entertainment or media. And I circled his two cultural mountains of influence. And I said, this is how you're going to affect those areas of the world for the purpose of the kingdom of God. And, and he, he was moved by that. And as are college students, but nobody is, is equipped to educate them. They don't know. And, and that's why all of this came into this, this gathering to, to give me a touch from the Lord in relation to this text. And I was moved by it. When the Lord said to his disciples, at that point, when, when Peter came in and he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, they did that at Caesarea Philippi, right there were the gates of hell. And he said, the gates of hell will not prevail. And he showed them, this is how you're going to affect culture, uh, that I am the Messiah. But he then turns to them and he says, I have to tell you something. You guys have gotten it. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. I am the Messiah. I've come to save, seeking to save that which is lost and mankind is lost. And they, I've come to reconcile them to the father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am, and no other, the truth. A lie has many voices. The truth has but one. And as Jesus declares this in the cacophony of voices of false religions there in Caesarea Philippi, he then turns and he says to his disciples, which is so fascinating, he says, from that time, 
He began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and that he must suffer many things and that he must be killed and they must be raised on the third day. He lays this out to them after they realize that our, our teacher, our rabbi is the Messiah of the world. And now he begins to tell them what that entails. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, like Emily or Sarah, you must be a servant of all. I did not come to be, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for the many. I've come to lay my life down that others may know the truth and the truth would set them free. I've come to pay the sins of mankind. I've come to lay my life down. Greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. This is an interesting way to go to war, to lay down your life for your enemy. And Jesus lays this out and he puts it before Peter and Peter's immediate response is, far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. No way. And at that point, the Lord reminded me of that conversation in San Jose with the young man who had signed up for military duty and was called to war. And, and before him was laid out all that was necessary for war. And he said, I didn't sign up for that. I only wanted the benefits. We love getting our get out of free card. We've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I've been set right. I've been reconciled to the Father by the blood of Christ, and I've received that gift of salvation, and I've gotten all the benefits. He's here for me. He's my Savior. He's here for me, but I'm not here for him. I'm not interested in the battle. I'm not interested in the responsibility. I just want the benefits. I signed up for the benefits. And this is Peter. No. Far be it for you, Lord, this, this isn't going to happen to you. This isn't the kind of kingdom. We're going we're gonna to knock them dead. We're going to strike them. We're going to go forward. We're an onward Christian soldier. And at that point, Jesus turns to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. He went from being, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, to Satan, get behind me. And the disciples are like, whoa. And Peter's like, whoa. What just, what, I, you, I, Hey, we were like, and, and, ooh, what's, did you, did you get caffeine this morning? Are you, you're like edgy. What's bothering you? But he says something telling. He says, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. You think it's about your benefit. You think it's about your notoriety. You think it's about your position. One will sit on my left. One will sit on my right. You argue over these things like the Gentiles lorded over themselves. And Jesus turns and he takes this teaching moment at Caesarea Philippi. And he's in for at least six days. He turns to them and he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. You want to enlist in my kingdom? You want to be a part of my army? It begins with this, deny yourself. It's not about your benefits. Deny yourself. Had Rob McCoy shown up at that dinner, tired and exhausted, sat next to that person, it would have been a completely different, caustic, awful conversation. Had I viewed their insults or their statements or their statements as insults and taken it personally, and can you, can, can you offend a dead man? No, you, you're stupid. You're ugly. <laughs> the scripture says, I, the apostle Paul said it, but he's pointing out mankind. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. I'm dead, dead to, dead to myself, alive to Christ. So Rob McCoy had to die in order for that conversation to have any effect in God's army. Because we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're contending against principalities, 
Satan is the enemy. People are the opportunity. Satan is the enemy. People are the opportunity. And so I couldn't be insulted. I'm dead. Jesus had to be there. Had Rob showed up, it would have been awful. There were times he wanted to be there. He was fighting to be there. And Michelle kept going, no, 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 no. <laughs> Through the empowerment of the Lord. Die, 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 die. <laughs> Let him deny himself. It's not about you. Let him deny himself and then take up his cross. He says this to the disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross. You want to be enlisted in my army? Two requirements, deny yourself and take up your cross. Cross, we have lovely necklaces. I'm scanning the room, I see them, they're beautiful. Exchange it for an electric chair, exchange it for a gas chamber, exchange it for a hangman's noose. That's the equivalent. When Jesus is using those words, deny yourself, pick up your cross, he's saying, you, by your ideology, will be marched up by your own effort, with your own cross to Golgotha, you'll be crucified among thieves and you'll be destroyed. You'll be killed. And you carry your own cross up that hill. All of you are going to deny yourself and you're all going to die. That's the cost of being in my army. I got news for you. This is not the way to build a seeker-sensitive church. I don't even want to come back next week after these words. He says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The scriptures are very clear. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross, follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I didn't come for the war. I want the benefits. I get that. Went to three-bedroom, two-bath. We went out of the picket fence. We, we just want to be left alone. And there's, there's, this, there's this unrepresented group of Americans that are listening to what's happening in Charlottesville, and we just want it to go away. Can I get an amen? amen. And, and I don't want to be in the midst of it. I don't want to be engaged in it. I don't want to contend with it. I just want to be left alone. I want the benefits. And in doing that, to step out and say, I'm not going to war. I just signed up for the tuition. I signed up for the insurance. I signed up for the medical insurance. I signed up for the early retirement. That's what I really want to do. Well, I want you to know something. You were gathered in a room where you were rightly dividing the word of truth at this point in the history of our nation where there's no threat to lose that option that is going to happen today. But this is unprecedented in the history of our lifetime of what we're facing as a nation. We're watching as a constitutional republic that the majority of our citizens have no clue about is being lost. And we're watching a church that is saying, nationally, I just want the benefits. We're all about evangelism. I want to get out of hell free card. I want to be saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I want that. But I don't, I don't want to engage the culture. And we're watching a generation of young people coming and saying, what's my role in this? Help me, encourage me, strengthen me. And most of Christendom has no clue what to give them. We don't even know what to tell them. We don't know the chain of command. We don't know the cultural mountains of influence. We don't know what to tell them. 
And I look at Lieutenant Commander Blair and he's saying, this is my commanding officer. This is the executive officer. This is the chain of command. This is how DevGrew works. This is how SEAL Team 6. This is who's over all the special forces. This is who's below me. This is what their responsibility is. This is what their responsibility is above me. This is how it works. He knows it all. He's equipped. He's ready. You send him in. He knows what to do. He knows how to equip the 18 men under his command. He knows where they fit in the expanse of the command. He's got it. He's prepared. And I know my son's heart. You see, if if your purpose is to save your life, you're going to lose it because you must contend. We are all the beneficiaries of men and women who establish this freedom you're enjoying. And we're watching it erode and there's nobody out there ready to contend. We just want the benefits of previous generations without the responsibility for future. And my son knows the, the conversation that we're having and that Sam gave with him. He adores this gal and he should. She's precious. But my dad had three tours of Vietnam. There were times I didn't see him. We spoke over shortwave radio over, over. I was a little boy. I remember all this. And if you back away from the responsibility to hold to the benefits, you lose your life and that of generations to come. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. It's not about the benefits. It's about the battle. And so when Jesus lays this out, he says this. In verse 26, I don't think I put it up here. Oh, I did. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul? What, what, do, you, what, what do you want that will make you happy? What is it that you're lacking that will just, if I just had this, I'll be happy. What on this earth could possibly bring you complete contentment? Because a soldier, interestingly enough, the apostle Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You're an unstoppable force. They, they can't woo you away with the baubles and the trinkets of the world because you have a calling. I've denied myself. I've picked up my cross. I have a calling for future generations. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my benefits. It's about a future generation. I'm willing to lose my life for the sake of a future generation. I'm not talking about dying physically. I'm talking about dying to yourself. Although some may be called to die physically. 11 of the 12 apostles died martyrs' deaths so that you could sit here with your Bibles open. Many of our founders, only one in nine, fought in the Revolutionary War so that you could enjoy these benefits. But what is it in the world that you would give in exchange for your own soul? I'm not a rich man, but I've flown in the, in the biggest of private planes. I've driven the fastest of cars. I've eaten the richest of foods. I've worn the nicest of clothing, and I've stayed in the most lavish of places, and I've visited all over the world. And I have tasted, driven, smelled, flown, touched. I've done it all. And there is nothing in this world that I want more than serving the Lord until my last breath on this earth. Nothing. But what is it for you? If all you have is this world, it is a very trying issue. One of the comments that I'd gotten from my colleague was, they changed all the flight plans the Federal Aviation Department changed all the flight plans and now they're flying over Dos Vientos and we're getting some of the, the people in, in Dos Vientos complaining to the city council. I'm thinking, boy, that is the biggest first world problem I think I've ever heard. 
the planes are flying over our heads. And I actually got up this morning at five and I heard one of the planes. I'm like, "Eh, I guess I can hear it. Do you know why they've changed the flight plan? $450 million in fuel costs because they're more efficient. Yes, but they fly over my house. And my peace of quiet is being very, very affected by this. And I get that. If this is all you have on this earth and this is your respite, I get that. Just don't call me because I can't do anything about it. It's federal. Serious. (laughs) Don't, Don't call me. I meant that completely. But imagine that. This is what you're worried about. I want peace and quiet. This is an issue? In the course of life, this is, this is our concern? We're watching the fabric of a constitutional republic implode, and this is our concern? And he goes on to say that the Son of Man will come in his glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. We aren't saved by works, but we're saved unto good works. Ephesians says this, for we are his workmanship, his poema, his poetry, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walking is an effort. Why? I just want the benefits. I don't want to, <laughs> I just want to get a hell free card. I don't want anything, you know. And I have young people asking me in my cultural mountain of influence, how do I do this? Where are the older people to instruct them? Well, we're concerned with the flight pattern. Really? I, I pose the question often, how many articles in the U.S. Constitution and probably less than 5% of the room, with the exception of the men I've educated, and we're going to be doing this on Wednesday nights, how many articles are there in the U.S. Constitution? And my colleague didn't know. Swore to uphold the Constitution, protect it from all enemies, foreign and domestic. What are the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution? Why are they there? How many amendments? 27. I ask, name, name an article. Um, freedom of... No, that's an amendment. Article? What is a constitutional republic? What, where did it come from? What's the point of it? Why is it necessary? Why do we have to educate an entire generation in regards to it? It says here, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. People say, well, that's eschatologically speaking, that uh, 70 AD, uh, the Lord returned, and and then he's setting up his kingdom. And others say, well, that has to do, that's, I I don't buy that. I read that, and this this is what I see. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the man, Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What's his kingdom? This is the Lord's prayer. Matthew 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. They stepped in and started to apply, deny yourself, pick up your cross, even though 11 of the 12 were martyred. They transformed the world and turned it right side up. A world that was oppressed by Rome, that that more than a third of the Roman Empire were slaves. And they brought the freedom of man. And, it, and as they declared in the book of Acts, they've turned the world upside down. Well, they turned it right side up. As I said to these young people, I say, you've got federal, you've got state, you've got county, you've got local. What's another form of government? You've got church, you've got family. How far down do we go? Our accountability before God. 
You see, that's the, that's the beauty of a constitutional republic compared to any other government on the face of the earth. Noahic covenant, God-ordained governments, this is the clearest form of government to apply this passage of scripture to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow the Lord. Because Jesus said, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. The idea of freedom. Freedom, as John Madison said, a constitutional republic can only survive with a moral people. Because when they turn the world upside down, actually right side up, they put man accountable to God. And our founder said the local government is the best government because we get more done. You come to me. You have access to a city councilman. Wouldn't it be neat if we were able to oversee the affairs of our own city based on a consensus of people we're connected with? But the higher up the government goes, the less freedom we have. The more it's centralized in a location, and if you go to federal, as opposed to the individual before God. And that's why in the history of the world, there's never been a nation that's had more freedom than the United States of America. And we're contending right now. But it boils down to this. Did we sign up for the benefits because the church is silent? They don't teach this. We don't have a clue. We don't even know what we've been given or why it was put there and how it equates to Christendom. The idea of our individual responsibility before God to deny ourselves, pick up his cross, pick up our cross and follow him. That I, as Jesus said... For I have not come down from heaven, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Not my will, but thy will be done. He said that in the Garden of Gethsemane. We receive that from God, and then we apply it to our community. And the amazing thing about local government is, I can't be visceral and and mean with you because I shop with you. My kids go to school with yours. We're community But we turn it upside down and we put the power in someone else's hands. We have no freedom to be able to have that with one another. This This is how it breaks down. Autonomy is you. Autonomy. I'm autonomous. Self law. I am, I am the captain of my ship. And then from that will come two opposite directions. You'll either go right or left. You'll either go to theonomy or heteronomy. Theonomy is God's law. Heteronomy is another law, another of the same kind. Heterosexual. Male, female means that they're both humans, but there's another of the same kind. It's another, but they're the same kind. It's another, but they're the same kind. It's a law. It's another law, but it's, it, it's, it's the same kind. It's a law, but it's not God's law. And what you're filled with is what you're governed by. So in regards to autonomy, if the smallest form of government boils down to you and God, stay with me, if the smallest form of government boils down to you and God, and you're accountable to him, not to do your will but his, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him, did you sign up for the benefits or are you in for the long haul for the ideological battle that is going to ensue? And here's the question. How do you apply his governance in your life? I would be shocked at how many people... Let me, let me correct that. I, I doubt there's very many people who can stand up right now and recite the Ten Commandments. And, and, that, and that's not to make you feel bad. We just weren't educated in that. We don't know them, so how do we apply them? Do we know that in socialism, the eighth and the 10th commandment, thou shall not steal and thou shall not covet, cause socialism to be a violation of God's law? Do we know that? 
are we equipped to tell our children? Do they understand these concepts? How do they affect culture? How do they, how do they prepare for their future? Because we signed up for the benefits. We're not contending for their liberty. We're not contending for their freedom. It was interesting that there was a woman who was devout and her son would call her from the battlefield in Iraq. And I remember the story. She would say, I'm praying for you. And she said, sweetie, do they give you Sundays off? His response was, war is every day here, mom. And the enemy doesn't take a day off. We reverse that, and and the only time we engage in the concept of theonomy is on Sunday, and the other six days of the week are like, well, let's go for the benefits. I want to increase my bank account. I want to get a bigger house. I want to have a nicer car. I want to go this. I want to go travel here. I want to go. That's not the point. We're contending for a future generation. People sign up hoping for a free ride, but armies exist to deal with conflicts. Armies exist to defend their people. Armies exist to fight the enemy and hopefully to contend against evil. But there are actually people who are hoping for a free ride. That's why the church doesn't talk about this. Nobody would come. I'm, I'm going to be... I'm not coming next week. <laughs> Seriously, I'm, I'm leaving. Not bad. But I'm glad I... Well... We're going to have Tony McWilliams, and then the following week we're going to have um, uh, Bill Federer, Federer, constitutional historian. It's going to be epic. I'm taking Michelle for 50th. I'm going for the benefits. (laughs) But the mindset, the mindset that we look, we look to join up, hoping for a free ride. It doesn't work that way. This kind of mentality undermines the military of any nation, including the church. It also seriously undermines the role of the church. I wrote down some thoughts. Too often believers sign up for benefits. They expect Jesus to be there for them, but they don't expect to be there for him. And he explains in this passage of scripture that they are part of his army. And this is what's to be expected. He's called them to war, and there's a decision to be made. Choose this day whom you'll serve. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, he makes it very clear. In other words, he makes it very clear. It's not about the benefits, fellas. It's about picking up your cross and going into the trenches. It's about being willing to lose your life for Christ. It's about being serious in our commitment to Christ. He lays it out. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, fellas, I've called you to war. I've called you to war. And in war, you face the possibilities of death. And the young man in San Jose, that that kid, he knew once he he would be in the trenches and that he would be suffering danger, he didn't want to die. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to do that. I signed up for the benefits. That's all I signed up for. And Jesus is telling his disciples and us, that is what you signed up for when you became a disciple of Christ. You've been called to go to war. We face the possibilities of danger and suffering and maybe even death. And let me just read you some of the passages of the Lord. This is out of Matthew 5. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You step into this world and they're not going to like you. They're not going to like you. 
and they're not going to like what you stand for. Matthew 10, Jesus, as we covered earlier, all men will hate you because of me, and he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy as he encouraged him in chapter 3. He said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes to the church, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. As Christian soldiers of Christ, we are at war with Satan every day, not just on Sundays. But here's where we delineate. This is what makes us unique as an army. So that term isn't unpalatable. You see, the world fights by doing whatever they have to to defeat their enemy. The ends justify the means. We're not allowed to do that. We operate in the context of truth. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, pay attention, because this is how we fight. You ready? The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, the Lord's servant must, must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We're not called to deny ourselves and take up our cross and then beat somebody over the head with it. We're called to deny ourselves because our way of doing things is different than God's. He wants us out of the picture. He didn't want Rob McCoy to show up at dinner the other night. He was capable of doing it himself. I wrote this down. Our way is often based on getting back at someone because they've offended our way of doing things, our sensibilities. They've trampled on our rights. You'll often hear that reflected in how people describe those they're going after. I mean, think of these thoughts. I, I wrote down a couple of thoughts I was thinking this week. Maybe you had them, maybe you didn't, maybe it's just me. How dare they do that? Anybody? Three of you. They had no right to do that. Anybody? Okay, good. Well, here's a little secret. I felt the same thing and said in my mind the same thing you did. But when you get angry, and the Bible says the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. When you get angry or vengeful towards someone. If I had taken what that person was saying personally, and by the way, I can't be offended because I'm dead and it's not about me. If I take it personally and I'm vengeful towards what they said, here's a secret. I've forgotten to deny myself. My marching orders is deny myself. I'm ready to tear them apart. We've become, yeah. And we become tempted to pick up our cross and beat someone over the head with it. Because we're the, we're the, we, we bear the truth. We bear the truth. That's our way of making war. Yeah? But God's way of making war is different. We're not supposed to be out to get them. People aren't the enemy. They're the opportunity. I love that person, my colleague. I really do. I have a tremendous heart for them. And you know what? They're very kind to me. 
I don't like their ideology. I don't like sometimes the way they present it. But I have a, a, a deep love for them. I will not tolerate you saying anything bad about them. They're my friend. We're not supposed to be out to destroy somebody. They're the objects of God's love. They're not the enemy. They're God's objective. Who's the enemy according to God's battle plan? Satan. He holds these folks captive by ideology. It's a war of ideology. Ephesians 6 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. That doesn't make sense to the people who don't belong to Jesus. They don't get that. If you hurt them, they want to hurt you back. And they will. I've received it. I've, I've had it. And it, it's painful. And you know what the Lord says when they do that to you? You give them the other cheek to hit. This is a funky army that I don't know I want to be a part of. <laughs> you know, it's like Peter. Let me, let me, you know, he takes off the ear of Malchus. And, and, and Jesus looks, put your sword away, Peter. You live by that, you're going to die by that. If you hurt them, they want to do something mean to you. But what does our commander say to us? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Luke 6, 28. This is you and God. That's autonomy. What you're filled with is what you're governed by. And if you're governed by God, you go over to theonomy. If you're governed by yourself in this Nietzsche mindset that there's no God, I am a cosmic accident. I, by my force of will, will enact my purposes in, in this realm. And there's no right, there's no wrong, it's all subjective, there's no authority. I am my own authority, and I will enforce it on you. If you move in this direction, if you go into theonomy, a constitutional republic is where we've been created. This is our, our birth certificate. Created in the image of God, endowed by our creator, with certain inalienable rights, among those being life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. It doesn't matter if you were born with a disability. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. This is what God declares. He said it. I believe it. That settles it. He loves mankind. I didn't burn the Planned Parenthood. I just love the unborn. Now, does that call me a bigot and a misogynist and a racist? Does that upset me? Yes, it upsets Rob McCoy. How about Jesus? No. Rob, the people saying that need to be loved and reached. Now go have dinner with them. What kind of an outfit are you running here? And then to turn to a college student getting ready to launch into Berkeley. I want you to step into the thick of it and go love those people. <gasps> but like Lieutenant Commander Sam Blair, you better be equipped. You better know the chain of command. You better know the seven articles. You better know the 27 amendments. You better know the 10 commandments. You best know every civic understanding in the Old Testament. And most of us have no clue. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed. We have received the benefits. We have seen countless revivals of people raising their hands. But who knows the word of God? 
Who is rightly dividing the word of truth and equipping a generation to not just seek the benefits? He's there for me, but are we there for him? Is there a generation that we're prepared to advance and help? Because in this concept of theonomy, when you put man first and he's at the top, and then these local forms of government that are established by relationship, then flow down to the bottom level, which is federal. That's why it's downstream and they call it a swamp. We affect because a constitutional republic can only survive with a moral people. The freedoms we've been, ex- been given, we're losing. And we have no idea how to defend them or educate our children to do as such. If you go over to heteronomy and you remove God from the equation and his word does not saturate the culture, you end up with fascism, socialism, communism, and monarchies. In the history of the world, a constitutional republic is such a blip on the screen compared to the countless governments of man. And in fascism, socialism, communism, and monarchies, billions have died because they are cogs in the wheel to do the bidding of another human being, and they are less. You serve me. I am the elite. Communism, everyone's equal, some more equal than others. Socialism, you're getting an A, you're getting an F, I'll take two of your grades, give you a C and give you a C, and from each according to his ability to each according to his need. And you stop working because you're like, forget it. That person doesn't do squat. They took two of my grades. And what happens? You take the fourth greatest government GDP in the Western Hemisphere, Venezuela, give it socialism, and everybody's starving. They can't make Coke anymore because they can't get sugar. They can't do Big Macs because they can't bake bread. And where is the church? Well, I, I just want the benefits. I don't want to contend for culture. And I certainly don't want to educate my children to contend for culture. But if we don't do this, last one out, turn off the lights. We have to. And the coolest thing about Christendom is at the most critical junctures in human history, the church has always risen to the occasion. And I look at this church, and I know, I get it. You guys are in. This is stuff we're prepared for. And, and it, it's developing as we're going through it. But when I read this text and I see that Jesus says, you want to be a part? It's real simple. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. People are not the enemy. They're the opportunity. We're battling against flesh and blood. Know who the commanding officer is. Know the chain of command. Know his dictates. Understand his word. Apply it in the lives of your children. Let the word of God richly dwell in your homes. And I don't want to hear anymore that I don't want to read the Bible because it's hard and it's boring. I've told you, you're boring. (laughs) At least when you read the Bible, it doesn't return void in the life of your family. I'm sorry, Matthew. But that's the idea. Don't just sit back. I don't want to read the Bible. I I just want to go to church and get sunshine messages. We'll do that next week when I'm not here. (laughs) Folks, this is an exciting time to be alive. It really is. And there's nothing to be afraid of because no weapon fashioned against us will stand. And when they heard that word at Caesarea Philippi, they turned the world right side up. And everyone and everything was against them. And they changed the course of history. So, 
You got the benefits. Are you ready to do the bidding of the commanding officer? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Let's go. Or as they said, let's roll. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that doesn't return void. And God, you have truly called us your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, God, you prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And so, Lord, we're here today that we would see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we didn't just sign up for the benefits, although that's tempting. And Lord, it's, it's easy to hold the truth and then beat people over the head with it as opposed to loving them and realizing they're not the enemy. They're the objects of your love. They're the opportunity. That the warfare we engage in is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and dark forces and, and ideology. And we have been given this privilege of a government that understands that it begins with the individual and God. That when we're governed by you, everything else is properly touched and blessed. So may your word richly dwell in every family represented here. May your word richly dwell in every child that is represented by a parent who is here. Let us love your word with a supernatural love. Let us have a heart for this community. Let us not call the people the enemy and avoid them at all costs, but to step into their world and to love them into the kingdom. And when we're insulted and slapped, we give them the other cheek and we just smile as though it doesn't even affect us because we're dead, for Christ is alive. We don't come to be served, but to serve and to give our life as a ransom for the many. And this is our cross. And we receive it with joy because we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And then all these things will be added to generations to come that they will be able to rightly divide the word of truth years from now because we did what was necessary. And we know, Lord, it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. And so, God, unless you visit us and bring revival upon our hearts and spirit of living God cause us to come alive, we're hopeless without you. So, Lord, would you fill us, inspire us, equip us, and do all these things that we're unable to do that we would honor you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your word. And thank you for this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.